Don't, 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 As always, when we talk about Ray Bradbury, we have our friend, Dr. Phil Nichols. So, Phil, thanks for joining us. Hello, it's good to be here once again. Yes, it's always great to have you. So, you you, you bring knowledge and uh, intelligence that we just don't have. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is an interesting one because the story The Illustrated Man is included in Real Future. And there's also an anthology of stories called The Illustrated Man. And we have a movie that's more based on the latter than the former. So, right, and James never read the framing narrative from the nope. short story. Did collection. not get a hold of it. <laughs> yeah, so he was a little confused. Um, but Phil, what do you know about the history of the adaptation of this? Um, well, if we go back to the original story, which was written in well, it was published in 1950. Um, Bradbury's book called The Illustrated Man was the following year, 1951. Um, By 1960, Bradbury himself had written a screenplay for a film, but it was not made. Uh, And then in the late 60s, um, a couple of people uh, teamed up and bought the rights to make the film without Bradbury's involvement. Okay. And that's where they went terribly Um, astray. So there's a kind of a long, a long background to the film. But the the film itself really sprang to life in 1967 when the contract was signed. Okay. I mean, I guess if you if you sell the rights to it, you you yeah. sold the rights to it. So <laughs> absolutely, that's uh, right. Fortunately, yeah. this was yeah. this came at a time in the late sixties. Bradbury had been working in Hollywood and writing for Hollywood films for a number of years, and he was really quite burned out and uh, rather, uh, shall we say, depressed with Hollywood. So mm. by the time this offer came, he just said, "Yeah." I'll take the money and let you do it. So that's <laughs> right. what he did. And <laughs> right. maybe regretted it to some extent because he, he had no control over it. But right. hey, as you say. Well, we we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because I, I suppose sure. we should talk about the story. Though in this case, usually we talk about the, the commonality between the whatever written work we're talking about and the movie, right? So, mm. Colin, how would you do that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, so I had some conversations with Phil, and the the problem is that we are talking about a short story of one name, mm-hmm. an anthology of the same name, but related content, yeah, mm-hmm. and a movie that is surprisingly canonical. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was happy to see a lot of the a lot of the high beats get hit. Sure, um, but the the story goes is that there's a guy, and he used to work in a carnival, and he got tattooed. And then uh, skin illustrations. Thank you. Not he had tattoo. skin, skin illustrations. <laughs> you say right. tattoo one more time, <laughs> <laughs> and then bad things happen. Right. And and that's that's kind of the gist of the framing story for the anthology, and the and the whole movie, and then the original short story. Right. I think that's fair. Right. So, uh, like I said, the, the, why don't we just move right into talking about the short story? Okay. Which one? The short the story, short story of, of the name <laughs> The Illustrated Man, which was published in 1950? 
believe in I, I think that's right. what Phil said earlier, so we shouldn't contradict yep. him. <laughs> <laughs> impolite. <laughs> yeah, so short story. Phil, do you have any uh, any special insider Center for Ray Bradbury Studies knowledge about the story? Um, actually, I don't. No, I, I don't even know... Um, when it was composed, most of Bradbury's stories were sort of written several years before they got published. But in mm. this case, I don't actually know how far back it goes. I suspect it probably goes back about three or four years before publication, okay. uh, because that was fairly typical. Um, but this was a writer who was just really becoming famous in 1950. Uh, 1950 is the year that The Martian Chronicles came out, and that's the book okay. that broke Bradbury out of the science fiction ghetto and into mainstream publishing. Even though it was published with a label on it saying science fiction, it was coming right. from a major publisher out of New York. Um, okay. So Martian Chronicles was a big breakthrough for him and for the field of science fiction. And that's mm. the same year that the short story, The Illustrated Man, was published. Um, so a big, busy time for him. Right. So a quick plot synopsis of the story. <laughs> quick it's it's a dark story it is it is uh there maybe we, maybe we should have phil do it okay <laughs> oh no <laughs> um, I, I read the, the short story this morning for the first time in probably about five years um and i quite enjoyed it mm -hmm. um it I, I think it is very similar to what we see in the film it does give this um story of the man who stumbles upon a woman who is a tattoo artist who covers his body's in body in tattoos and they come to life and they kind of take over him i think what's different um is that we get some of the backstory we get the reason why he took mm -hmm. to being an illustrated man unless i'm confusing it with the the book um i, I think it talks about him kind of not having a job in the carnival and he says well can right. i be can i be the be the bearded man or can it be the strong man or whatever and none of these other job roles are available um yeah or can i be the fat man right right he kind of yeah can i be the fat man <laughs> and even that isn't possible even though he piles on the weight um mm -hmm. and becomes super fat um but then he gets the tattoos and he becomes the illustrated man people see look at these tattoos and um see them come to life and people see uh death and mayhem and the future um, and so on. And there are two particular tattoos that are kept covered um, that he's kind of not allowed to look at. And one of them shows, if I remember rightly, it shows his death um, at, a bay at the hands of a baying crowd. And the right. tattoo shows him being killed by a baying crowd, even as they are killing him in real life. So it's a kind of a, a picture within right. a picture within a picture going off into infinity. Now, unless I'm mixing that up with the framing story of the book, which I might be nope. doing, no, you're not. Um, that I think is the way the story goes. Right. Only the the only difference is in the story he has he's got all the skin illustrations <laughs> from the movie, um, but he has one covered on his chest and one covered on his back, right. and he's supposed to yes. reveal the one on his chest first, and that's the one that shows him strangling his wife, mm -hmm. which comes as a surprise yes, to him of because he he thought. I don't want to kill anybody, let alone my wife, mm -hmm. um, even yes. though she she has not been being very nice to him. But <laughs> this is not an acceptable um, pretext for murder. No. Right. Yeah. And then the one on his back is the one that's revealed after he gets gets beaten up by the crowd. Now, which he doesn't even see. 
Right. The he doesn't even see it. it. The crowd sees like, it. Yeah. They see themselves killing and killing. Uh, yeah. Right. Off yeah. into eternity. I'm not, I'm not completely certain that he dies. If you look in the Wikipedia entry for it, it just says he's beaten by them. Um, and in the context mm-hmm. of the story, I kind of, or in the context of the, with the framing narrative in, in the, um, short story collection, it's almost like all of that is backstory for the framing narrative. And so he couldn't have yes. been killed, but it also could be something that happens in the future, I suppose, but I don't know. Right. Do you know what I mean? I think you've hit on um, an important element, which is in the short story, he has a wife and right. he also meets this um, skin illustrating woman who who is a, she's a dust witch. Her, her ears are stitched up, her eyes are stitched up. So she's right. a very... Um, mysterious, possibly evil character who's doing this thing to him. But it clearly brings out something that is in his nature, whether he knew it was there or not. So right. there's, there's a kind of a, a psychological depth to it. There's a kind of a fantasy um, element to it. But there are the two distinct characters, the wife and the tattoo artist, which by the time we get to the film, those are quite muddy and mixed up. Yes. Yeah. Almost the same. Yes. Yeah. So uh, to your point about whether or not he was killed at the end of the short story, uh-huh. um, your your comment made me think that the short story itself actually stands alone, I think. And now now that I'm looking at it from a different perspective than your guys' because you knew about the framing thing and I did not. Yeah. <laughs> from my perspective, he did die at the end. But sure. more importantly, though, um, I think the short story does stand alone by itself without the whole, without any yes. other stories or framing narrative necessary. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And from that perspective, it seems off that that story was matched with this movie in that book <laughs> because of the vast differences, I think. Sure. And one of the fascinating things about the short story collections, I've been reading it in the last week, mm-hmm. and there's it reminds me a little bit of iRobot, where you have the Susan Calvin interview that's mm-hmm. the framing narrative for iRobot. And every, you know, between some of the stories, it will do a little, you know, and then Calvin got quiet and pensive and then <laughs> you know, started talking again. And then the next short short story comes up. It does that right. in the Illustrated Man. It does that between a couple of the first uh, first few stories and mm-hmm. then it stops doing it. And they it just, you, you flip the page and it's another short mm-hmm. story. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really come back together until then, the epilogue. Right. So, yeah. And, and this short story, the one in Real Future, was in this other collection you're talking about, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's one of the last stories. Uh, So it's it's interesting that that was the short story pulled out for the real future collection. (laughs) Yes, I, I have a hard. I mean, I, I can see what what Phil's point was about that. The adaptation does adapt the whole concept of it, Mm -hmm. right? Just Mm -hmm. not the specifics of that story, right? It doesn't. You can understand why somebody would want to make a PG movie without the wife murder part of it, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, (laughs) But all the nudity. (laughs) <laughs> right, yes, right. But, but Rod Steiger's behind for quite a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the I mean, the Will Willie is that his character, or uh, Nathan Cooper, Bradley right. Williams. <laughs> yes, <laughs> amalgamation. He kind of reminded me of the wife murder actually from the short story. Yes, in that the tattoo kind of incites the murder to happen. Right, but that's also. I mean, we'll get to it get in, to in the movie. Guess, that's but... very much out of the framing narrative. He goes. He goes oh, running okay. off at the end. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And presumably he's going to end. Up, I mean, you can you can you can follow it to, through to the end where he actually is going to get killed by him the way yeah, he yeah, saw yeah. it, even though he tried to kill him to prevent him from dying. Right. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> circle of death. Had anybody else other than Phil, of course, read uh, the Illustrated Man or 
or the the book, The Illustrated Man, the short story, any of it? I had never read any of them. Okay. But in the 1986 Twilight Zone series, mm-hmm. I think it was 86, uh, one of the first stories they adapt is uh, The Velt. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought that I had read the Illustrated Man, um, because it was on it was on the list of books that my son could read in eighth grade or something like that, and so I picked it up. It was cheap on the note. Oh. I picked it up and I read the framing narrative and a few of the first stories, but I never actually got to the Illustrated Man short story oh. because it's all the way at the end. Um, oh. And I'm good at starting books and not quite so good at finishing them sometimes, especially especially anthologies because they have that stopping point built into them. So, like, I started reading The Complete Adventures of Adam Link four years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I still haven't finished it. Because <laughs> um, I finished one of the one of the books of it, and then something else came up. So, You know, the other interesting thing is, and, and Phil, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't believe that The Illustrated Man, the short story, was in the original collection. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Oh, it was put in, I think, some sometime in the 1980s or the 1990s. It was just sort of added in there in some editions, not all. Um, so yeah, the original book did not include that story. And I think that the reason is because it, it is slightly contradictory to yeah. the framing narrative. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not a million miles away, but there are details in there which are not totally consistent with the framing narrative. So, um, I, I think Bradbury simply had the idea when he wrote the book, um, to just reuse that idea and, and retell it, retell that, um, framing narrative but the interesting thing about the the framing device um if you you think about why does the book even have that because it's a collection of short stories really so why on earth does it have a framing device it's not even like irobot where you have a consistent character running all the way through the stories uh, or a set of characters who recur Uh, each of the stories in the illustrated man is independent of all the others. So why the framing device? And the answer really is that short story collections traditionally haven't sold very well, so publishers Mm. are afraid of them. Um, Now, Bradbury's first book from a major publisher was The Martian Chronicles, which is really a collection of short stories. (laughs) Um, But he stitched them all together, put in some joining material, and it came out looking something like a novel. And it's usually published as a novel, but it's really a a short story collection. So by the time he gets to his second book from a major publisher, The Illustrated Man, he's tempted to do the same thing again. So he takes separate short stories and thinks of a device for linking them together but it's it's very much um a kind of a topping and tailing exercise so we're introduced to the illustrated man we're told the concept of each tattoo is a story and then we're given the stories and then we come back at the end um so it's just a conceit it's a way of pulling you in i can imagine somebody picking up the book in a bookshop and reading the first bit you know the prologue and thinking oh this is interesting it's all about this tattooed man i'll buy that they then take it home and (laughs) they get to page 20 and they're disgusted to discover that there's no illustrated man anymore um (laughs) so it it, it's just part of the conceit of it um Mm -hmm. but but what it lends itself to um really is that the illustrated man is like a container for stories yes um Mm -hmm. and 
so the book could have contained any stories really mm-hmm. and the film could have done they chose three stories from the book to adapt into the film mm-hmm. but they could have chosen any number uh, of, of stories from the book in any combination and in fact earlier attempts to make a film and later attempts to make a film used different combinations of stories so it's mm. really quite a quite a nifty little framing device really in a way it's a bit like um almost like bradbury invented the twilight zone or something the 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 framing story is a bit like um rod serling being there at the beginning of the story and introducing it and then coming back (laughs) at the end or the night gallery where you have a painting for each story so it's Mm. he's it's quite clever and you can see why bradbury was always interested in having his own tv series where he could carry off that sort of anthology um format yeah makes sense uh, further thoughts on the short story or the framing narrative or any of the written parts? <laughs> well, I, I loved hearing that Phil said that he would often produce these short stories several years before they were originally published. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at it, there appears to be this huge flurry of activity in the nineteen fifty, the early 1950s, and then this anthology comes out. And you, be, I was beginning to wonder, wow, you know, this guy must have just totally cranked out content <laughs> right. you know like here's the martian chronicles here's another short story <laughs> collection but he's really assembling previous works sure well in a sense right bradbury himself is the illustrated man all the stories come out of his body <laughs> <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> yeah so yeah like we mentioned the, the adaptation that we get is not an adaptation of the short story itself it's more an adaptation mm. of the framing device from the short story collection plus the stories the Velt, the long rain and the last night of the world is that what it was yeah and these are pretty dark stories consistent with the tone of the illustrated man the original story mm-hmm. where it's pretty much a downer ending i do find the the short story of the last night of the world i i think ends on kind of a light tone um with where where lighter the, than the movie <laughs> Lighter than the movie, right? Because in the in the story, yeah. the the couple goes to bed. There's no mention of children, mm-hmm. as far as I remember. Right. And then she runs downstairs and turns the faucet on just on a lark and comes back to bed, <laughs> um, which I which I thought was funny. But that's the only little bit of levity that you get in any of the stories. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the other stories individually, or just go into talking about the film? I think we can talk about the film. Like I said, the the film is surprisingly canonical when it adapts um the velt the long rain and uh the long last night on earth yeah here i'm gonna just look up the uh cast just so i have it handy it wasn't much of a cast <laughs> like 12 people well not even that i think it was eight including the dog eight, including the dog okay yeah because there was carl and felicia and johnny and anna and, the dog. and will and the dog and cool the other peak. two guys Yes. Peak. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the, the two other guys Who, from Who's played by Pogo, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we we thought it was cool that he got a credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh Pickard and the other astronaut who was right. stuck Simpson? on the planet. Simpson. Was it Simpson? Okay. So yeah, let's talk about the, the film. This is from nineteen sixty nine, uh starring Rod Steiger and Claire Bloom. Those are the kind of the two main cast and Robert Drevis, who looks like a cross between right. Bradley Cooper and Nathan Fillion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in 1969. In 1969. Yeah. Um, let's start with overall thoughts about the movie, because I think we have some variation of opinion on this. What, why don't we start with you, Phil? Yeah, I've, I've always thought of this film as really being a failure 
Um, but I watched it again yesterday, and there are some parts of it that I think are really good. And it's, it is mostly the framing story that mm. I think um, works quite well and really does feel like Bradbury, that sort of small-town, early 20th century America. Um, it sort of looks and feels right um, as a yeah. Bradbury piece. So the, the frame, I think, works really well. I think the stories they've chosen are done fairly badly hmm. um and overall therefore the the film is is a bit forgettable but it's got some really good moments in it some really nice bits okay what about you james movie do you really want to know no. i do, I do want to know <laughs> <laughs> um i thought the pace was a little slow yes so it got kind of boring and i did not like the transitions into the short short stories that the first one into the because the, the it was the belt right that was mm-hmm. the first one it that transition just seemed like it came out of nowhere it didn't really right I, I appreciate the transitions for the other two stories better than that one and okay. it was that it was just a little jarring and out of place in my mind um, but I did like was it Robert Steger is that his name Rob Steger Ro- Robert Dravis uh, no 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 the, oh, Rod, Rod Steger Rod Steger, Rod Steger thank you yeah, I did yeah. like his uh, intense acting. Yes. <laughs> Dude is crazy. <laughs> he was not mailing that one in. <laughs> no, definitely not. And and this may be well, we'll get to we'll get to my opinion after Collins. So So yeah, I, I thought that the the three adapted short stories were done really canonical. Uh the the pacing seemed slow. Mm-hmm. Uh it reminds me of other movies we've seen from that era though. So yep. it reminds me of Planet of the Apes. Right. It reminds me of uh the you know, Colossus, the Forbin project. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. paced a little differently. Yeah. Pacing, but also like just the transitions between the stories were not handled well. It doesn't make for a smooth movie narrative, right? Yeah. And so, so I do like the fact that that Phil kind of picked out there's there's the two parts of it. There's the framing mm-hmm. part of it, yeah. and then the individual stories. I like the framing. The framing narrative I think was really cool, actually, mm-hmm. and I could totally see this being a television series. Right. Just all exploring all these tattoos he's on his body. That'd yeah. be it's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That would be cool, but uh, just the way they handled it this time around, mm-hmm. no bueno. <laughs> okay, and did you come up with a with an overall verdict on it? Uh, you you said you said it was a little slow, but canonical. So yeah, canonical good, slow bad. Yeah, so. and yeah, it's it's ho- the overacting. <laughs> <laughs> is so in your face. I I was gonna wait for you to make some kind of uh, William Shatner joke. Right. I was waiting for the whole movie for well, that. this very Star Trek music in it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah, um, and I think there was too much framing na- narrative. I, hmm. I could have done with a little less, and maybe pick up a fourth short story. But that, that's me. Maybe, maybe. I guess what I'd say is the the framing narrative takes a while to get going. Because it's very low-key right. at the beginning. This is and very slow. Yeah, very slow at the beginning. Once it gets going, I quite enjoyed the film. I I liked it a lot. Um, and so a, even the individual stories, oh, I thought... it was better than Rollerball. It was better than Rollerball. Not yeah. as good as Jurassic Park. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be that the fact that we've had some kind of stinkers recently <laughs> trying to finish off this book, that, that I watched this movie and I'm like, you know what? I, I thought that was pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I, I thought the performances were good. Point. I thought... Uh, <laughs> Robert Drevis was really good as the as Willie or whatever whatever his yeah, Willie, yeah. name was. Um, it's interesting that he went through the different amalgamations of William throughout the different stories. Yes, so like <laughs> Willie when the yep. in the lake campfire, and then William, and then Will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I one thing that I really liked was in a lot of 
um, films from the 60s and 70s, you get a lot of dialogue replacement. And I mean, not, not just like in spaghetti westerns, but, but, um, or like in the, the Italian film we watched a while back, the 10th victim. Yes. But you end up getting a lot of kind of like that Rex Reason voice from, uh, this island earth, you know, where it, it sounds like he's on a, in a studio recording his dialogue, even though, right. you know, he's on, on the tarmac with airplanes going and you can still hear him clearly. Yes. <laughs> in this one, they seem to do all the sound mixing, you know, in situ. Mm-hmm. And so in the Velt, when they're in that very Spartan and um, cold house that they're in, mm-hmm. uh, it's very echoey. And and so to me, that captures more of the performance because you get the nuance of the actual actor's voice as they were delivering the lines. And there are a couple clunky performances, the kids. The kids. <laughs> but they're kids. Yeah. I know kids in movies, you have to just, you discount that. But um, but yeah, I, I really liked, I thought Rod Steiger, I thought the main three did a really good job um, in their various roles. And so it, it really worked for me. So I was, I was happy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to give it an A or anything, but you know, I'd give it three out of five. So, so a C. No, a D. I, I guess if you're putting letter grades on it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a problem with um, Rod Steiger and Claire Bloom being the characters in every story? No, because I actually it, it, liked that. Um, that that wow. to me made sense since it was a uh, well. It didn't totally make sense, actually, now that I'm thinking of it. <laughs> because I, it made sense for Willie to be in there, because it's in his imagination mm. that, mm-hmm. that yeah. the story is playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made sense for Rod Steiger to be there, not necessarily for, what was it, Claire Bloom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought they were mismatched in terms of the attractiveness level. <laughs> <laughs> Although they were actually married in real life. Did you know oh, that? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they they got divorced the same year that the film came out. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the tattoos were a turn off, I guess. I mean, skin illustrations or a turn off, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely some adaptational attractiveness for for her being the kind of witch with the illustrations. Um, yeah, right. with open eyes and unsewn ears. Right. Yeah, that's. Yeah. it makes a yeah. difference. Um, yeah, but. I don't know. That all worked for me. I like the economy of characters that that brought on. Um, so that, like you, like we said, there are only like mm-hmm. eight cast listed. Probably cut the budget down quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. this one, I mean, on IMDb, it's a six out of ten, which is three out of five. Forty two percent Rotten Tomatoes. So mm-hmm. not the worst. No, it's definitely not the worst <laughs> thing that we've seen. No, no. I I, I think it. it it stands up reasonably well and i think it's if you can take the pace of it um i I think it's watchable which some some of the other films you've you've spoken about uh, on the podcast have not been uh, very watchable um sorry phil (laughs) (laughs) well i I noticed you you've been on a bit of a um a jack smite um run just lately because you had damnation alley which was directed by jack smite and now you've had the Illustrated Man, directed by Jack Smite. So I thought you were on a bit of a run there. I don't, I don't think we ever called that out. <laughs> yeah, I totally didn't pick up on that. <laughs> I'm going to look up the rest of his filmography. Yeah, there's not much there of any quality, I have to say. Um, although he <laughs> he had um, a, a, a couple of years before this, perhaps the film immediately before this, was um, another film that he made with Steiger. Um, which was called something like No Way to Treat a Lady, something like that, um, hmm. which is, is a fairly good film of its era. But this, I think, was possibly Smite's first science fiction piece. 
Hmm. And frankly, I don't think the science fiction elements are done very well uh, in this film. I think the, 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 the framing story is by far the best directed section of the film. And the, the performances within the stories, I think, are incredibly variable. I think that the last night of the world, or, or whatever it's called, Steiger in that is, is way over the top, as if he's playing a, a Greek tragedy or something. Um, yes. Very, very different style to the way he plays mm. in the other two stories. And I'm not, so, not sure where that's supposed to come from if it's the same character. It just seems very odd to me. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't quite get that. I, I would prefer the, the stories to have had a different cast. Um, and then it would feel much more like an anthology. Uh, I th- and I think, I think weaving the, the characters all the way through just ends up creating this very bizarre set of events. Um, and if you're not familiar with the book that it comes from, um, well, I, I don't know what sense you can make of the, of the film, quite frankly. You, for instance, you, you see in the Velt, you see um, the parents are killed by the lions and right. the kids are kind of to blame for it. So the, kid, <laughs> yes. the kids have killed the parents. But then two stories on, The Last Night of the World, you've got Rod Steiger killing the kids. So <laughs> none of this makes any sense in in any logical sure. fashion. So I, you know, I, it, ugh, yeah, I can't make any sense of it at all. <laughs> yeah. About the only theme that carries forward is is tragedy. Yes, in every, in all the three stories. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, although I've never seen it, I the way I understand it, this movie, uh, the series of anthologies of different stories with the same characters reminds me of The Fountain. Mm. Uh, which is an Aronofsky movie with right. uh, Hugh Jackman and oh. Rachel Weisz. Rachel Weisz, yeah. yeah. Uh, where they play the same characters through time. Right. Mm. But again, they're actually the same characters moving through time rather than same actors, different characters. I don't know mm-hmm. that they're actually the same characters. At, at certain points they are. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Although there, there's also like a, you know, somebody, um, there's like a conquistador story there as well. I've seen the movie. Mm. Um, so I'm not, Totally sure. Or it might be a reincarnation sort of thing. But uh, but yeah, I can see what you're talking about. But yeah, if you tried to connect them because the actors were the same, then that, that you're right. It would be nonsensical. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about the... I mean, we've kind of talked about the, the framing narrative. It's just the two guys and the dog um, mm-hmm. who rightfully gets a credit because he's <laughs> quite annoying and funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rod Steiger gets to about half his lines are yelling at the dog. It seems like. <laughs> How about the Velt, though? You want to talk about that? At some point, we're going to have to go back and, well, let's say this: in in the past, we've made sure to be completely, well, not completely, as comprehensive as we could be. So when we did yeah. a Sound of Thunder the first time that we had Phil on, right? We we watched the Ray Bradbury Theater right. version mm-hmm. and the film, where here there are some other adaptations of the Velt. We may have to go back at some point and, and cover those, but we decided for sanity's sake and for schedule's sake to not do that this time. Yeah. 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 We're really talking about the framing narrative mm-hmm. and the idea of putting multiple stories in a story. Yeah. There's not quite as much, I think, in the in the Velt adaptation in this movie building up the relationship the children have with the house and the room mm-hmm. because they there is that that idea that the room is sentient somehow is aware and is, is a person that the kids care more about than their parents. Um, and, and I, I mean, there's a Bradbury had a lot of these kind of stories where the 
technology was causing people to not connect anymore and, you know, causing people to not be a human, to not quite prescient. <laughs> yeah. Take part in, in life. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. The millennials yeah. with their phones, right. <laughs> or social media. Yeah. So. You can totally have an echo chamber built all the way around you and never experience uh, other people of different ideas or different beliefs. Or right. different. Well, you don't know how to create things, right? You don't know how to cook a meal. You don't know how to, how to wash your clothes or wash yourself, right? The shower does it for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and in fact, that's one thing the boy hated in the, in the, right. in the movie, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I have to go someplace and do everything don't myself. Do oh, the therapy refuge. <laughs> the therapy <laughs> refuge. Yes. Yeah. It, it does have some things in common with Fahrenheit 451 which is built around that same idea. Um, yes. But, it, but the, the story, The Velt, is also a, a story uh, of bad parenting. Um, yes. It's kind of, it, it, this, this is simplifying it a lot, but essentially it's, it's a story of parents who plonk their children down in front of the TV and allow the TV to yes. do the parenting, um, except mm. it happens to be a, a super glorious TV that brings things to life. <laughs> Um, but it's it's right. it's really a morality tale about that, about not mm -hmm. being a bad parent. And I don't think in the film, The Illustrated Man, I don't think that angle really comes across at all. I think they've, they've really taken a different tack uh, on it. So for me, I, that story doesn't work. I, I, I didn't, in, didn't really see anything in that section of the film. I take the Velt as a, a warning to always read the end user license agreement. <laughs> if, if they had read that the the room could come to life and actually kill them, then then they maybe they would have turned on the holodeck safety protocols and everything would have been fine. Technically, I think it is well done. Um, I quite like that they genuinely went on location uh, with real lions. <laughs> you know, so right. they they didn't try and fake that. On on some of the other adaptations that have been done, they've they've used really obvious special effects. Uh, to to do that and it sure. and it, it just looks terrible, um, mm -hmm. but to put people in a real location with real lions um, technically makes it very convincing. Um, I, so yeah. that aspect of it I thought was very good, but story wise, nah, didn't care for it. So in the third story, the last night on Earth, I was really impressed when they go into their white tent that there's a tiger outside. Right, mm. and so they must have used the same animal sanctuary <laughs> and shot on location for that background as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you happen to know where they shot this, Phil? Uh, uh, only what I saw in the credits, which I've now forgotten. Is, is it somewhere like Africa, okay. Africa, USA, or something like that? The, one of those places oh, where they used to film things like uh, Daktari. I don't know if you remember that mm. from your childhood. No. You remember that? I don't. Um, no. an, an Ivan Tours production that used to have um, was set in Africa, but was filmed somewhere in the US. Hmm. Huh. Cool. We were commenting that it looked like MASH. Ah, okay. The green hills and de oh, deserty yeah. scrub yeah. kind of <laughs> valley floors. Yeah, could totally. be somewhere in Hollywood. <laughs> that would keep costs down. Yeah. Some backlots on there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Not with lions on it. <laughs> yeah. But that um, that final story looks really low budget, doesn't it? It's, it does. The, the scenery is just a load of bedsheets. Um <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if they ran out of money okay. at that point. I mean, what I did like about the, the final story is that they did it primarily as, as dialogue, uh, which usually I, d I don't care for in films because I, I, I always argue, well, it's a visual medium. You shouldn't just be talking. Um, but right. the way it was staged, it, it was quite theatrical, the, the dialogue between mm -hmm. the man and the woman. 
Um, so I like that aspect of it, I, but I, I didn't see the need to kill the kids at the end. That's not what the story right. is. I don't see the point. And I don't think it improved mm. it by doing that. I think it just raises questions. So, again, yeah. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does kind of remind me of a a Greek tragedy kind of thing, like like Medea, where the you know Medea actually does go and, and kill the children. Oh, wow. Um, well, like Colin said earlier, I think that, that does seem to be the overarching uh, link between everything, because they're all tragic stories. Yes, yeah. Now, The Long Rain, since we live in Oregon, you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's getting on fall here, and it has the rain has not come back yet, um, but it will. And, uh, and there are times where it's, you know, mid-January or mid... Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like mid-January, early February is where we'll, we'll get, you know, a solid two or three weeks where there's some precipitation almost every day and and it it gets to feel maddening so i can i that it definitely puts me into that that story when i'm reading it i've never wanted to stand on a mountainside and open my mouth and drown myself though no <laughs> <laughs> with that with that great pose right? <laughs> yeah 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 uh, that seemed like maybe the united states of earth uh should stock their rockets with some better survival gear than just right. jumpsuits <laughs> and, and functional guns. Right. Jumpsuits and functional. Well, I mean, it's America. So <laughs> no, it's not, <laughs> it's the year 3000 and there's still no gun control laws. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but even, even just a, a waterproof hat, you know, would have increased that could have let them right. sleep a little bit. Cause that's what it talks about. Right. They've been up for, a week and they can't sleep because of the because the rain is so mm-hmm. so hard. Mm-hmm. Now you had an interesting uh, take on this one, Colin. When we when we were talking about it the other day, I I said you know well the guy finally gets to the sun dome right after the other guy kills himself, and you said does he though? Yeah, you know after not sleeping for so long and being so long without food and being in that environment, I was wondering whether he really got there mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, and and I think using Felicia to be inside the sun dome. Uh, tends to give it that air of believability. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he was just in there, you know, I, I had, I gave me pause. Yeah. Of course, I also read the long night or last night backwards. I thought oh, okay. she went down to turn off the water right. versus turn it on and come back up. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, there was a protracted discussion about space whores, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought might, they might update that dialogue if they remake it. I mean, just, just, Sun and food is enough motivation right. for somebody in that situation, right? It, the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't quite get all the way down to the, the, the comforts, comforts of a lady. So, yeah. But I, th- I thought the story um, of the three, to me, it was it, it sort of made more sense than the others. Um, and it's possibly because the, the woman wasn't in that story. Um, so you've got Rod Steiger, but he's he's with other characters. So it, to me, it sort of opened up things a little bit, and uh, I right. found that story a bit more absorbing. But I was going to say it was a bit of a damp squib, but that's probably uh, an unfortunate <laughs> choice of words, isn't it? Um, it doesn't lead to anything when he reaches the sun dome. It's there's there's no real great revelation, um, right? Except it turns out to be yet another thing that the the woman has done. So. Mm, again, it's a bit yep. meh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, what else is there to talk about, Colin? Uh, well, we mentioned that the Velt has other adaptations, mm-hmm. and 
The Long Rain has at least one other adaptation on Ray Bradbury Theater. Okay. But I don't think hmm. The Long Night has any other adaptations. The last Night of... Last, last Night, night on, on Earth. Earth. Last Night on Earth, yeah. No, I think it might have been done as an audio drama at some point. Um, but no, I don't think it's ever been done for film or TV. The Long Rains, you're right, was done for Ray Bradbury Theatre. I can't remember whether that was any good. Um, and The Vault has <laughs> been done many, many times for every every medium imaginable. And it sometimes works, depends on how well it's done technically. If the technical stuff is done badly, uh, it gets in the way of the story and ruins it. I think in this case, The Vault has been done technically very well. Um, but they've they've made the story not very interesting somehow for me. Yeah. Um, hmm. But the the Velt is is an absolute classic. It's probably one of Bradbury's most um, reprinted stories and one of his yeah. most adapted. Oh, that's a fantastic well. story. It's just a classic. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Any anything that is about you know bad parenting like that, it, it does. <laughs> it has resonance. In fact, Bradbury has a um, a stage play version of the Velt, um which is mm. sometimes performed oh, it's, a, it's only a short play probably about 25 minutes um and he does a very clever thing in the play the when the parents look out into the uh, into the Velt to where the lions are you don't see that on the stage because the lions are where the audience is so the Every okay. every significant thing that's happening happening is out there where the audience are. So you, if you're putting on the play, you don't have to show any of that stuff, which is quite clever. Right. Um, but good use of sound effects uh, is key to to making it work. And I've, I've seen a couple of performances of it, um, and it, it it works well. Probably better than when it's done with visual effects in in film or TV. <laughs> sure. Leave a little bit to the imagination. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. At, at the at the very end of the movie, or the the short story, The Velt, uh, where they're being attacked by the lions, mm-hmm. it's like cut, 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 yes. cut. Yes, right. it gets yeah. gets old fast. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could see something like that being adapted. Definitely longer form, and the shorter form, shorter form they took in the film didn't quite work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I still liked it. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think it misses a lot of the misses a lot of the story. What it's all about. <laughs> by leaving out the part where this, the kids talk about how attached to it they mm-hmm. are. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, the the boy briefly alludes to it being sentient in some form. Yeah, it being alive or the, it having feelings. Film, but yeah. I definitely think they could have explored that more. Well, and Dr. Williams does mention that he felt responsible for the situation with the parents because they weren't engaging with their – they weren't working through their feelings. They were engaging with them and you know building right. them up. But that was something I knew to look for because I'd read the story. Right. They were taking the Sith path, not the Jedi path. (laughs) (laughs) Embrace your aggressive feelings. (laughs) Obviously, they really did need to go to the therapy. Refuse. Therapy or therapy Therapy refuge. refuge, Yeah. (laughs) Did you say refuse? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, this was an interesting one, and it, it, I don't know. I, for me, at least, it was a better one to finish on than than a couple of the others that we've done. You know, Empire of the Ants. Or, oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. What was the other? <laughs> Damnation Alley. I was was not. <laughs> wouldn't have been a great one to finish on. Yeah. No, but at least Damnation Alley had the uh, the car. Yes. And the giant scorpions. Don't forget the scorpions. <laughs> right. <laughs> the giant scorpions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
any final thoughts on any of this? I guess we got to rank them. Uh, Phil, you'd mentioned that the illustrated man had attempted to be adapted again. Yeah. Do, several do you know times, if there's any yeah. movement on that or if there's anything that might come out of it or the, 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 oh, there, there was an announcement probably nearly 10 years ago now that um, somebody big was going to redo it, but nothing came of it. Um, maybe seven to 10 years ago, something like that. So as far as I know, there, there probably is some studio in Hollywood that owns the rights, even as we speak. But it's one of those projects that just goes around and around and doesn't necessarily come to anything unless somebody really wants to make it and grasps it mm-hmm. and and runs with it um the I, I i had a look at what other versions might have been and the very first one that there might have been was back in 1960 which would have been a, an animated mm. film um which is Whoa. the one well, the one that bradbury wrote now i can immediately see possibilities there you can see the tattoos really coming to life right. in an animated that film that would be cool um, which it's actually something I don't think they did very well in this film. Um, th- these tattoos are supposed to be re- living, but you, they're just very static. They, di- they didn't even get um, Rod Steiger to flex his muscles and make them twitch or quiver or anything like <laughs> right. that. So they, they missed a trick there. Um, Bradbury in 1999 um, pitched another version to ABC TV which didn't get anywhere. And then he came to a deal with the Sci-Fi Channel in 2001, uh, for which he wrote a script. Um, but again, nothing was done with it. I mean, at that point, Bradbury was 81 years old. So mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine anybody wanting to make a film from a script by a, a writer who is that late in their career. Um, because, you know, if you, if you want changes to the script, what are you going to do? They're not going to be very efficient at... Um, doing rewrites um but his his script isn't bad but each time bradbury did this he put different stories in um so it's not Mm. that he felt that there was a fixed fixed structure to this i think he 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 always put the veldt in that was always a a cornerstone film uh, as a story for for any film version um it was always a different combination of stories and he, he he didn't seem to mind which stories went in and by the way um this film the 1969 one they bought the rights for about eight stories before eventually whittling it down to the three that we see um and oh. then the other the other five or whatever it was that were returned to bradbury so that he had the rights back again but it, it goes to show that this film could have been a very different piece if they'd chosen to do some of the other stories that they'd initially bought. And I guess right. they, they were looking for a combination of stories that had some thematic similarity, um, which, as, as you said, really seems to be that they're all just a bit dark. That's about the, yeah. all they have in common. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I could see this working as... You, there's the Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams on Amazon, on right. Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Um, and... Yep. You could do that kind of thing here mm. as well and have it work. And actually have the tattoos move or skin yeah. illustrations move. Yeah, right. that'd be awesome. Yes. Yeah. Or like the Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker. It was another anthology series. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, yes. I, I was going to ask you if you'd seen the um, sort of behind the scenes f- featurette 
uh, that goes with the illustrated man. Have you seen that? No, called no, ta- I didn't tattooing Rod Steiger or something. Um, it, oh. it just shows <laughs> shows him being tattooed. How, how the makeup artists put on the um, the yeah the the, ta- the f- they're not obviously they're not real tattoos, <laughs> right? Um, right. But they're they're painted on with I don't know vegetable colouring or something. Um, right. And there's a little featurette that shows that being done, which is quite interesting. Oh, somebody somebody got the pleasure of. <laughs> tattooing Rod Steiger's backside. <laughs> it does make you wonder. They must have shot it very carefully because it takes a long time to body paint an entire body. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. they probably you know stacked up all those scenes. Um, yep. Yep. Where he had the jacket on. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the gloves. Yep. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Rank them. What are we ranking? <laughs> that, oh. It is up to you. <laughs> well, you've got short story, you've got book, you've got film. Right. So James did not read any of the book. so th- Then he's not entitled I, to an I opinion. Think we should just go, you know. <laughs> we, we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much par for the course. <laughs> uh, we could just go with the story in the movie and right. call it good. Do you want to add anything different? I think we have to talk about the short story, the anthology, and the movie. Okay. Because, uh, yeah. The anthology would mean, the, the parts that you've read of that, of course, are the stories themselves, mm-hmm. not the framing. Yeah, I read the stories so, themselves. So, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can weigh in on those if you like. Yeah. Uh, Phil, would you like to go first? <laughs> yeah, the, well, mm, I think I like... That's my thought. <laughs> That's exactly my thought. <laughs> the, the, film, uh, well, the film comes last. <laughs> on this occasion, the film comes last for me. There's, there's no question of that. Um, it's a question then of of which is the best uh, of the say the short story versus the book. I I think I prefer the short story to the framing story of the book. I think the short story is better written, um, it's mm-hmm. sort of more visual, more poetic, and all that kind of thing. Um, but the book itself is fantastic. There are terrific stories in there. It's one of his best short yes. story collections. Um, so it, if I were recommending something to somebody, I think I would recommend the book first, um, short story in second place and the film last. Okay. Colin? I, I have to agree. Although I haven't read all the other short stories in the illustrated man. Um, and, and I wish that even though the framing narrative does kind of lend itself to an anthology production, that they were called something different. Right. Uh, you know, there have been a couple other times when we've adapted real future stories where we've wondered, is this really the same thing that we watched? And are there any steps in between? <laughs> and it turns out that in several right. cases, like in uh, Millennium, Air Raid, and uh, Damnation Alley, mm-hmm. there was an interim step. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were sometimes they were significantly different. And in the case of Damnation Alley, the novel was, you know, not anywhere near as... Mm-hmm. I feel like this one's the most... Uh, Jarring example of that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it, it makes me kind of wish they had put a section of framing narrative yeah. and the three short stories into real futures because mm-hmm. we right. were always yeah. using it like a reference, and that right. was not a wise choice. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah. I I do kind of question this one's inclusion in real future, like uh-huh. like you said earlier, yeah. James. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, where like this isn't even the thing that was really adapted. Uh-uh. So, yeah. <laughs> did you actually rank them? I think I think you talked your way all the way around. Uh, <laughs> I did. Oh, you agreed with Phil. I so. agree with Phil, though. Okay. Yeah. All right. What about you, James? 
Well, how can I not agree with Phil? Yeah. <laughs> do you enjoy being wrong? <laughs> okay, I, I do like I, I do like the idea of the framing narrative. I think mm-hmm. that could have been just done better. Yeah. Um, but I also like the story read from Real Future because it um, it seems very standalone. Right. And better written than the other three stories I've read. Well, no, I didn't read them all. I read the um, Long Rain and uh, Last Night on Earth. Oh, you should definitely read the belt. Yeah. It's good stuff. Well, the copy I had wasn't very good. Okay. It was hard to read on the internet. Yeah, it's um, what, green on black? And... Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that the archive? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. The archive one, you're actually looking at scanned pages. Right, 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 right. And so it's black on old parchment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, the one copy of the Velt that I found, the first one that I, that I put in the link, is violet, violent green on black. Yeah. Okay. Because it's science fiction-y and you can't have Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been, I remember back in the day, um, you know, on dial-up modems, you know, to, in order to make pages load faster, you could override styles on the on the page. Oh, yeah. You'd go in and say, no, oh, yeah. I want black font on gray background, you <laughs> yep. know, or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, don't, simple. don't load background images. That's that, that was always the one that I did because background images slowed everything down. But, yeah. So it's interesting to try to rank the story versus the anthology that contains the story. <laughs> so, so I think I'm just going to go chalk with you guys, you know, and, and say, right. I'll, I'll, I, I agree. I liked all of them. So to me, to me, they're all, they're all good. Yeah. Cool. So it's really just written content better than the visual content. Done. Right. <laughs> yeah. Works for me. So, Phil, any any updates for you? Anything that uh, you want to promote or anything you're working on? I should have a prepared answer for that, shouldn't I? But um, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Although I would, okay. <laughs> I, I would point out to people that um, just a couple of weeks ago, Bradbury was awarded another retro Hugo um, from the World Science Fiction Convention. Uh, for a short story that he wrote in the 1940s um and this this uh, uh, again a couple of weeks ago in august would have been bradbury's 99th birthday so this mm. means this time next year it will be around the time of bradbury's 100th birthday so those of us connected with bradbury are sort of seeing that as an opportunity for a celebration so you can expect there to be some yeah. events and activities um well, really, between now and 2020, between now and August 2020, as people sort of celebrate. There's already been a statue put up in Bradbury's hometown that went up a couple of weeks ago. And there's a museum that's going to be opened in his hometown again in 2020. So there's loads of things going on. Um, yeah, Maybe there'll be some new film stuff coming out next year as well. Or maybe right. there won't. Who knows? OK. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> I think I think really Phil is bucking for an invite back onto the podcast next. Oh August. yes, oh yes. <laughs> well, we do we do have unreviewed Bradbury yet to do. We do, yeah. Uh, you know, and we can either do long form mm-hmm. like some, something wicked this way comes, yeah. Where there's an awful lot of Ray Bradbury theater. Yes, yes. Fact, I think I remember the award that he he won for this year, mm-hmm. the Retro Hugo. Wasn't it the story about the father who was beat up in a park, and then his son is being beat up in a park later on and he assaults the kids the, no the one that won the retro hugo it was called king of the gray spaces which is also known as r is for rocket um oh, which right. is about yeah, a, yeah. about a, a, a child who's um who is chosen to be um like a space cadet or something 
Um, it's not a bad story for its time um, and obviously worthy of an award, according to the couple of hundred people who voted for it. <laughs> right. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. Um, you've worked your way through this um, Real Futures, is it called? This anthology. Yeah, Real and, Future. And you've got to the end of it now. Um, mm -hmm. What's your verdict on it as a book? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I haven't, I haven't uh, reviewed it on uh, Goodreads yet, so I haven't, <laughs> haven't collected my thoughts. <laughs> um, it's, it's a mixed bag, definitely, because I'm not totally sure what Forrest Jackerman was going for in this anthology, because there's a few times where, you know, we read the story and it was fine and the movie was, ugh, you know, <laughs> and there's, there's other times where the story is fantastic and the movies are great too. And so I, it's not like every one of these things is amazing. Hmm. It's, it's definitely a cross section of science fiction adaptation. So was that what he was going for? If so, mission accomplished mm -hmm. but if not then then i just i'm kind of like well it, it's kind of middling yeah and even if you talk about the process of looking at the adaptations the there's very very little information there's yeah. maybe an eight or nine page mm -hmm. primer for all of the stories in the entire book yeah and it you get maybe a paragraph or two per story yeah now not everyone's going to talk about stuff for an hour like we do right <laughs> and maybe they shouldn't <laughs> but more information i think to help people engage with it to understand the history to understand well if i read this and i watch the movie uh how different are they going to be and why right yeah, it would be interesting to have this kind of anthology have some information about the adaptation process of each story. Mm. But I really think that what he was going for was to highlight the stories that people didn't know originated films, right? That They knew the films, but not necessarily the stories. I don't know that that's always the case for all of these, but mm. um, for a lot of them, I mean, like, we didn't know about Farewell to the Master before we started looking at at doing this, right? We didn't know what the what the origin of the day the earth stood still was. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think he's he's kind of trying to do what we try to do here is highlight that these written works that people might not know about, but they might know about the film. Well maybe when we become old and long in the tooth, <laughs> we should uh correct that situation. Yes. Right. Yep. <laughs> well we just have to have to have a clear idea of what we're actually trying to do. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I'd have to reread the introduction to it to see what his motivation was yeah and his, his motivation might have been money it might have been yeah, it, it every everybody's seen these films um let's put all the stories together everyone who's seen the films will then go and buy the book so, right yeah and it Could probably be. wasn't a very expensive book to to put together because many of those stories are forgotten so to buy mm -hmm. the the publishing rights to them wouldn't necessarily cost very much money right I'll sign us off with a illustrated <laughs> a pavement plow <laughs> a pavement pounders skin illustration uh, blessing. So, all right. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Phil, for joining us again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And until next time, may the road rise up to meet you. And remember, just don't stare at the bear patch on someone's back. <laughs> <laughs> it, even if it's not illustrations if it's hair and there's a bear patch just you know, don't don't stare at it it's there for a reason you know he could only afford that much laser hair removal so <laughs> don't look don't ask yes i thought you were gonna go don't you know don't allow strange people to show up in your campsite when you're hitchhiking but <laughs> yeah that too right yeah 
Yeah, he came off pretty creepy at the beginning of that, too. Totally, like, yeah. like well, dude, you got a little personal space problem here. <laughs> <laughs> Coming on pretty strong for a stranger in the woods. Cool. Oof. Thanks so much, Phil. Really appreciate Thank you. your time. Thank you. I enjoyed it.